Okay. Dude, I always have like a question to ask you guys for a cold intro, and then I sit down and I forget it every fucking time. Well, that's not entirely awful today because I have something to bring to both of your attentions. Mm. Um, as of today, September 15th, 2021, at 11.43 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, mm-hmm. you are a dead man. Justin Ruiz in the Discord with no context whatsoever said, I go hard in the taint. What? I go hard in the taint. <laughs> what? I and I need to discuss that. this. Uh, hang on. I'm, I'm in the VIP member section. Also, you can join our discord. It would be great. You can find it on my Twitter bio. If you want to do that. Easy access. Yeah. In regards to, uh, but yeah, he goes hard in the paint from Tani. He goes, and I go hard in the taint. Yep. That what means nothing. Is happening? I thought Justin I was know. a respectable guy. I nope. thought, you know. No more bow tie. Bow tie's on the ground. Yep. I thought being a billionaire, like, made you respectable. I nah. guess not. He's throwing <laughs> the bow tie off the sky rise. <laughs> I, uh, I love how quickly the VIP members chat sometimes just devolves into, like, complete degeneracy. And it's normally him. It's a hot mixture of everybody involved. I mean, maybe, but really, it—he's the instigator. Uh, yeah, he instigates so much stuff; it's not even funny. Uh, I wish that he would not do that. Um, but you know, <laughs> yeah, just be a respectable person in the Discord, like Gilbeezy. He never causes issues. Yeah, ever. Like no, it's perfectly fine. maybe the nicest person in the Discord outside that of Tony ever met. Tawny is a jackass. Oh, oh, we don't. So, so what? What? What is it? We just we just name call patrons now. <laughs> yes. Well, one of those isn't a patron anymore. But also, Josh, something just flew across your house. You okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was me uh, <laughs> trying to get my leg up on my desk. <laughs> Knocked something over. <laughs> I uh, don't know how to control my limbs, apparently. Oh my god! It was just great because I heard it happen in real time, and I heard you trail off. Like, did that just fucking happen? Yeah. I'm really glad it wasn't my beer bottle because it's glass. Uh, oh, no. Sounds like Stone Cold's about to walk into the podcast. Oh man, that would have been awful. Would have been great. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm I'm gonna start writing down these fucking questions. Oh, you're back to that. Okay, I am, I'm still mad about it. I had a good one. I had a really fucking good one, and now I can't for the life of me remember what the fuck it was. And cue the intro. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are listening to Hunting Pixels, the one and only official video. That is the first time in a very, very long time that I have stumbled in the <laughs> intro. Hey, you made it a long time. 
You did. Yeah. I mean, you went longer than we expected, truly. It's, That's what she said. Yep. Well, mm, this is not the one and only official sex talk podcast of Culture Pop. This is the one and only official video game podcast of Culture Pop. No, that show's a Patreon exclusive. Exactly. Uh, only fans exclusive. Mm. Um, we have quite a show for you today. Uh, we've got a really great topic of the show that we're excited to discuss for you. We're also going to be discussing some more wrestling, uh, a couple of movies, including my remaining descent. I don't know why I said remaining. I should take that out of there. Well, it's, it's too late. It's a redundant. <laughs> you already <word>. said it. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, uh, it's uh, my, my descent into the Evangelion rebuild movies. Uh, we'll also be discussing even more Persona, thanks to Austin convincing Dylan to become a weeb. <sighs> then, of course, we have our regularly scheduled picks of the week. All of that and more. I am, of course, your host, the one and only B-Cop man, Josh McMullen. Uh because I rule with an iron fist in that Discord. God damn it. Do you? Uh, and <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I was about to say, you don't ever put a stop to the degeneracy that goes yeah, on. <laughs> I really should. Uh, no, you shouldn't. No. That's what makes no. it a fun place. It's true. Uh, but I am joined, as almost always, by my two co-hosts, Dylan Antihero Martin and Austin Mary Sue Stevens. How's <laughs> one today, fellas? <laughs> that might be the first reference in a while that I don't oh. understand. Oh, you don't know what a Mary matter. Sue is? No. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, man. You weren't around during the Star Wars sequel discourse at all. Uh, I guess not. Yeah, no. I guess not. Discourse uh, in the Discord. Uh, well, we had some discourse in the Discord about it the other day, but um, uh, you know, yeah. Josh, you watched a lot of shit. I did watch a lot of shit, guys. What the fuck <laughs> is that? Any different from usual, though? No, now, this is a lot of shit. Now, to be fair, uh, the manifest. Uh, which I, I mean, I guess I'll go ahead and I'll start by talking about manifest. Um. That was over the course of several weeks, and mm -hmm. I wanted to uh, finally get to it now that we finished. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll start there. Uh, so, Manifest is this show that was aired on NBC starting, uh, I think, three-ish years ago. And it follows the tale of these people who got on a flight from Jamaica, uh, flight 828 from Jamaica back to New York City, and uh, they hit some turbulence, whatever, they get through it, then they come to, or they go to land, and uh, they're on the, you know, air traffic control thing, and they're like, hey, we're trying to land, and they're like, uh... Well, there there's some issues, whatever. And then they finally get down on the tarmac and police are everywhere, whatever. And it turns out that this plane has been gone for five and a half years. Um, mm. So everyone on the plane was presumed dead. Uh, you know, they had family members who were like looking to see them and stuff like that. And uh, these people are, for all intents and purposes, dead. Well... They get back, they start trying to live their normal lives or whatever, and they start hearing voices 
that they uh, eventually come to call callings where they are basically asked to uh, like help out in some way with with something and the callings are very vague and they could mean one thing and they sometimes end up meaning something else entirely and you know yada 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 uh but it's a very cool concept very interesting it kind of takes some inspiration from lost and the leftovers and some some other stuff and then throws in like a nice little almost like twilight zone sort of twist to it um and I like this show. Uh, it is not great by any means, and I'll get into that in just a minute, but I, I like it. Um, <clears throat> so I, I think that part of it is that the premise goes a long way for me. I really, I really dig the premise of this show. But the writing itself is so uneven. Like some parts are very like, oh man, this is fucking great. This is really speaking to some real shit like, you know, grief and loss and moving on and all these other other things. And then other times it'll go into these like really just trite fucking storylines and has some of the most predictable fucking outcomes like ever. Like I'll be in it and I'll be like engrossed and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'll be like, oh, this is exactly what I thought it would be. Huh. All right, then. <laughs> it kind of goes the same way with the acting, like with with it being uneven. Like the acting is all over the place to, to a comical degree. Some actors will have a scene that is like just like heart wrenching. And then the next scene that they're in it's like, is this the same fucking actor? Like, bro, what what happened? Like, you were great here, and now you're like, shit. You're like Tommy Wiseau. Like, wh- what is happening? So, I mean, <clears throat> there is that. Uh, it just got picked up by Netflix for a fourth season, uh, and I'm really excited about that because it is... Sup- the, so, uh, NBC canceled it. And then there was a huge uproar from the fans because it ends on a cliffhanger and the cliffhanger is like, what the fuck? Like, just really like, I I don't want to say M. Night Shyamalan shit, but like, it's one of those things that's like, how are you going to end on this? Like, how are you going to end this series right here. So, uh, they signed like a petition, blah, blah, blah. And then finally, uh, um, like a whole bunch of people just started watching it on Netflix and then Netflix reconsidered and they were like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll bring it back. That sounds good to us. And so, uh, it's getting brought back for a fourth season. Um, I assume sometime next year, but, uh, yeah, this show was fun. It's, fucking stupid it's really bad sometimes <laughs> and it's like it's nowhere near uh you know other shit that i've watched recently like uh we just started ted lasso last night and ted lasso is amazing um at, or from like <clears throat> what was it two episodes ago or three episodes ago i talked about mayor of east town and mayor of east town is like top tier television this is no hair fucking near that but it is real dumb fun and i am having a blast watching it so oh yeah 
Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Austin, <clears throat> you watched <clears throat> Death Note. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to see if I can talk about this without fucking throwing up. Um, so Hence all the emojis. Yeah. Um, so Willem Dafoe in this film is kind of like if you just took a huge steaming pile of shit and you look down and there's like a little sliver of gold in it that like might be worth some money if you went out of your way to dig it out. But like at the end of the day, it's still covered in shit. That's this exact movie. That is how I feel about this fucking film. Um, the entire movie from the plot to the horribly fucking botched characters is just an absolute shit show from beginning to end. And I'm just genuinely not sure what uh, provoked me to watch this film. Um, uh, I, me and Madison were talking about Death Note the other day. She wants to uh, try to watch it again. Like I said, we got to uh, the like potato the anime? chip scene. Yeah. Okay. We got to the potato chip scene, and I was like, nope, this dub is too <laughs> cringy for me, and I don't want it. Um, I do remember watching Death Note like, kind of loosely back in the day on uh, Adult Swim, but I don't – I remember bits and pieces, but not like a whole lot. Um. But the only saving grace about this film was uh, Willem Dafoe's portrayal as Ryuk. And you do not even get to see a clear shot of him one time in this movie. Not a single time. Every time you see him, it's either from behind or from a side angle where you can't see his face. And then when you finally it, – it is at an angle where you can see his face. His face is completely like shadowed and blacked out. And all you can see are his glowing red eyes and his teeth. That's it. You can't actually see. I mean, like you kind of can if you stare hard enough, but like I, I don't really understand what the purpose of that was. Like if someone's watching this, it's because they watched the anime or they read the manga. They know what the motherfucker looks like. W why did you go the entire movie covering him up? That like, I don't know. That seemed like a weird design choice to me that I, I just didn't really understand. Um the story was more or less at the beginning of the film, uh, Light finds the Death Note, which, unless I just happen to miss the scene, doesn't even show how he fucking found it. He, the movie starts, he gets sent to detention, and he pulls it out of his <clears throat> bag. It does not even show you how he found it or anything. There's no context to that. Um, but the, the whole plot of the film is at the beginning, he's getting uh, a little bit of a thrill off of using it, and then he gets all scared and bent out of shape when the cops and L start kind of closing in on him, uh, forcing his girlfriend Mia, who is a horrible adaptation of what I assume to be this movie's version of Misa, uh, to pick up what she thinks he's too scared to do. Um, and L is represented as this kind of crazy shape, like always shaking conspiracy theorist kind of guy. And like, I, I don't know, dude, unless I'm remembering the anime wrong, I don't remember him being that way at all. I remember him being just as smart and cunning as light, if not more so. Um, and, and light's entire character is just an overwhelming pussy. Like there's a scene probably right about the middle of the movie where uh, uh, L confronts Light in a diner and just says, hey, are you Kira? And he has a fucking meltdown. He like loses his shit for the entire rest of the film. He's going crazy like he's acting like a fucking heroin addict. And I I it, like that just didn't sit right with me. Like I, I like I said, I, I didn't finish the anime I remember watching bits and pieces of it growing up on Adult Swim, but, like, I just don't remember Light being that way at all, ever. 
maybe closer towards the end, because I, I do kind of remember a couple of scenes towards the end of the series. And, like, he was, you know, kind of crazy and off his rocker and starting to lose his grip there. But, like, that was all the way at the end. That wasn't halfway <clears throat> through the story. Um, there, There's a scene uh, close to the end of the film where Light or L is chasing Light down an alleyway with a gun pointed at him, uh, manages to corner him, and a restaurant owner comes out and uh, 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 Light tells the restaurant owner, hey, this guy's Kira, call the cops. And the restaurant owner picks up a two by four and just smacks this fucking dude in the back of the head and knocks him out cold. And he says, Lord Kira. And I'm like, you had no context to that. There was no fucking reason for you to believe either of these people. And you just on a whim assaulted a detective like that. That's just not believable to me in any any sense of the imagination. And I just couldn't buy that scene. Um, And even Ryuk, I still kind of feel like was botched like. This movie kind of presented Ryuk as uh, he's throughout the whole film. He's persuading uh, Light to do these things. He's like in his ear, like, yeah, kill that person, kill this person, kill that person. And I that's that's not what happened in the anime at all. He he might have, you know, tried to persuade him initially, but then Light got like a uh, uh, like an ego trip off of it. And he got like got a got got that God complex. He fucking ran with it. Ryuk was never really the one in his ear telling him what to do and when to do it, but that's what he does in this movie, and it just their whole relationship and dynamic just did not feel right. Um, I, I, like I, me and Dylan were talking about it in the group text today. I feel like this movie would have been better if it was an original story surrounding uh, the premise of Death Note, whether it took place before the anime or even after the anime. I. It, it just would have been so much better than whatever the fuck this travesty uh, was trying to do. Um, and what irritates me the most about this movie is like Death Note is a, is a supernatural anime. Sure. But like it, it's it's still more or less very loosely grounded in reality. There's no there's no fucking giant robots. There's no dimension warping abilities. There's no high speed combat. Like, with the right cast of people behind it, I feel like this movie genuinely, at, at bare minimum, could have been halfway watchable. And that's just not what this fucking is. Uh, like, I, I felt like the director of this movie read, like, a paragraph summary on Wikipedia on what Death Note was and was like, fuck it, let's do a movie. You know what I mean? Like, there was no real draw from the source material. At, at least, I feel like um and it's crazy to me that somebody can just make a movie like that and then get mad when it's received fucking horribly um but i will say uh i haven't watched it yet but i have seen clips uh on youtube here and there there is a live action japanese uh death note that is a million times better than whatever the fuck this movie was trying to do so if you, for whatever reason, have a live action Death Note fix, go hunt that down and watch that because it is much more enjoyable than whatever the fuck this was. So I didn't even know that the Japanese edition uh, existed. So like you and I are talking about today, I hate this movie in every regard. Um, I told you earlier, this is probably, as far as I can remember, the only manga that I've ever read from start to finish. Um, and I was pretty passionate about it for a while. I still love Death Note in every regard in terms of 
um, the manga at least. And it's something that even Sabrina and I were able to sit down and bond over. But this live action was just so abysmally awful. It, it, it took snippets from its source material and I feel like tried to make itself original and, and it just failed. Mm -hmm. Um, by the end of it, nearly every, no, every character was essentially, I feel like the polar opposite of who they truly were in the manga. And that did itself Mm -hmm. no favors. Yeah. Um, agree. Yeah. I, I do like what you said about if they were to do this and it's too late now, but hindsight, you know, it's 2020, it should have been based 2021. It should have been based (laughs) on. <laughs> uh, it should have been based off of the source material in the same universe, but not necessarily following Light Yagami or Light Turner in this case. Um, what a stupid name! It was stupid. I have no reason to hate that name as much as I do. It's I just, just fucking dumb. Do. Um, it's bad. And then Misa to Mia, like just fucking stop, stop making changes. Um, <laughs> Misa so horny. Is yep. <laughs> Something's wrong with you this episode. She is a top-tier <laughs> waifu, though, I will say. Oh, that. God. Why did we devolve? <laughs> Just say it, man. She's pretty top-tier. Uh, anyway. I can get behind the whole goth maid thing. Okay, well, I can respect that. You have <laughs> some trauma you later. need to work through, buddy. Me? Yeah, you. Uh, Yeah. That's pretty... That, yeah. <laughs> Remember the toaster bath episode? <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> uh, anyway, if they would have done this, something based around the, the the concept of Death Note would have been great, not necessarily a retelling of a story that they wound up fumbling in mm. the end. Um, but yeah, that's that's one thing we can relate on, dude. I, I think this movie is trash. I think Willem Dafoe did everything he could to make it not trash, but even then he didn't have the proper direction to go in. I will say that there was one scene in this movie that I did think was really good. And it, it uh, again was because of Willem Dafoe. Um, There's a scene in the film where light uh, is led to believe that Ryuk uh, had written someone's name in the death note and killed them. And light comes into the room and he's yelling at Ryuk and he's like, if you fuck with me again, I'm going to put your name in that goddamn book. And Ryuk just starts, like, maniacally laughing. And uh, he turns to Light and he says, well, you're more than welcome to try, but there are four letters in my name, and the most someone's ever written down was two. So good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I That's thought that badass. scene was pretty cool. But the rest of the movie was uh, yeah, bad. Yeah. 0.5 out of 10. Yeah. Negative oh. 0.5 out of 10. Oh, Okay. A shitty movie. I don't even know why it's still on Netflix, honestly. Because uh, they own the rights. Really? Yeah, it's a quote-unquote Netflix original. No, it's not fucking original. Oh, I thought it's you just meant copy like, and rights paste to the it. franchise in general. Yeah. I didn't know. No, it's well, not copy and paste original. Because that's fucking dumb. It would at least be accurate. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Bad movie. Big bad movie. Yeah, stupid well, speaking of Netflix originals, um, I watched a a documentary about Bob Ross called Bob Ross, Happy Accidents, Betrayal, and Greed. Mm. So this is a look into, I mean, it kind of does uh, a number of things. It kind of goes into Bob Ross's life, 
uh, it kind of goes into the business behind like his show. And uh, I mean, I'm sure that you guys see in the arts and crafts sections, like anywhere you go in like big box retailers, the um, Bob Ross sort of, um, I don't want to call it section, but like labeled arts and crafts. You know what I'm, does that make sense? What I'm saying? His brand. Yeah. 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 His brand. That's God damn. That was a, I don't know why my brain didn't process that. Uh, so yeah. And it goes into the like ins and outs of that and what all happened and why that's a thing. And it was really interesting. I was like, I have known of Bob Ross. I think I had watched his show maybe like once or twice as a kid. Uh, but it was never something that like, um, it, it was never something for me. You know what I mean? Like that, uh, Bob Ross was definitely a show for old ladies. Um, and I, I don't mean that disparagingly. Um, but, uh, it really gave some cool insight into both the man that was Bob Ross, as well as like, you know, all of that stuff. And, um, there was a lot of stuff that I had no clue about. Like, I didn't know that I honest to God thought that he was still alive. <laughs> like I didn't know that he was dead. Uh, but he, he died oh, of shit. cancer. Uh, I forget when it was. Oh my um, God. Yeah. I yeah. This man was walking. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Like, and <laughs> did they actually make a, a really good point, uh, in the documentary because it's, it's about the shit. Uh, like, Ultimately, it ends up being about the shady dealings that happened around his name and stuff like that. Uh, And the people who like operate the Bob Ross like company, so to speak, um, they did not want it getting out that he had died. Apparently, like it was a a big deal that he, he died and they did not want that that. Like they didn't want that news getting out and shit. So like I honest to God had no clue. And I was like, Oh, that makes total fucking sense that they didn't want it to get out. And that's why I didn't know that he was dead. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, uh, other than operating, uh, or like not operating, but offering up like a really cool insight into the man. Um, it, there were a few little problems with it. Like, uh, it could have used some editing. Um, it hits some lulls for sure in it just seemingly the middle of the, of the fucking documentary. It just like sits there and it's like, okay, well, uh, this is, um, you know, this is going to be boring now. (laughs) Um, and like, I feel like it could have used some editing, uh, and some tightening. Um, but overall it was, uh, enjoyable. Um, and if you like Bob Ross or are interested by anything that I said, uh, I recommend it. So word. He's a cool man. Check that out. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Not a lot of people know like the history that he truly has. He's not just a painter. Like he was in the fucking air force. Yeah, dude. That's, I I mean, that's a thing. He, he was in the fucking air force stationed in Alaska for a very long time. He was a master sergeant. I mean, he was pretty fucking awesome, dude. That's fucking crazy. I did not know that. Yep. So, yep. Uh, well, Dylan, you've been, or, well, maybe I should double up here. (laughs) Okay. Go ahead. Double up. Double dip. Yeah. 
double just double. just so we can uh, not have me talking about two things at the end of this section. Maybe I'll double up now. Okay, so uh, I watched Evangelion two point two two. You cannot advance. I'm gonna take my headset off for this one. Oh God. <laughs> Uh, so, all right, uh, here's the good things about this. The good animation from, uh, 1.11 carries over and that is awesome. And I am happy to see the animation continue to be stellar, right? Uh, good stuff. Um, I feel like the parts of the story that stay the same are still you know, they're still good Evangelion stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mind some of the departures. I actually think that they can work in what I assume will be a uh, coherent manner going forward. But, you know, we'll, we'll fucking see. Um, <laughs> but I don't I didn't like this movie. I didn't like this movie pretty much at all. Um outside of those things. Mm. So, uh, part of the reason being that, um, the story itself, like this is something that I complained about. I think when I talked about 1.11, um, and that is that the, the story is not a standalone. It doesn't like, it doesn't make sense to like watch this as a movie because the story that is told in this almost two hours, uh, fucking doesn't make any sense on its own. And that Mm -hmm. bugs the shit out of me so much. It just really fucking annoys me when fucking this kind of shit happens. And like, do you just not like movie series like that? I mean, so here's the thing. I'm I'm bitching about this, but I know that it is a um a retelling of a series, so and that they were immediately going to break it into like separate parts. So mm-hmm. like I should not be as upset about it as I am, but it's one of those things that like the MCU, right? All right. Yeah. All of those movies are connected. They're telling a larger story overall, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but each of the movies has their own individual story, and those individual stories make sense. And it annoys the piss out of me that stuff like this, or like, I don't say Suicide Squad, but like, um, not not the Suicide Squad, but like Suicide Squad, but even that doesn't make sense to what I'm trying to say. Uh what I'm trying to say is that um, movies that are just like parts mm-hmm. don't really make sense with overall story. Like, uh, I'm saying this terribly. <laughs> I see what you're trying to say. Yeah. Uh, like I don't necessarily inherently hate when movies do that, like for instance, the Lord of the Rings, right? Lord of the Rings Mm -hmm. is designed as a trilogy immediately. Right. Yeah. But the thing about Lord of the Rings that I think they get right is that the Lord of the Rings tells a story in each one of its movies. 
like each individual movie has its own story to tell. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And where I think these movies in particular are not working for me is that that is almost, I don't want to say like an afterthought, but it's, that's what it seems like to me. It almost seems like the story of each individual movie is an afterthought. Mm -hmm. And that is one of those things that again, like that's something that annoys the piss out of me. Like I, I can't tell you why it annoys me. It just does. (laughs) Yeah. And so like, one of the things that I think could end up being a really cool uh, positive for this this movie and this series as a whole is um, the uh, the new characters and the new directions that it's taking because it could potentially have something really cool to say. You know what I mean? Um, and I love the way that this movie starts out because it introduces like, well, I say I love, I was also very confused. Um, (laughs) it starts out with a completely new character, like Mm -hmm. completely new, never before seen in any Evangelion media before. Except the manga. Well, you know, I'm, uh, an adult. I don't do that. (laughs) Um, okay. (laughs) But. Uh, but yeah, so, um, God damn it. I lost my train of thought. I threw you off. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, a completely new character and she may have been in the manga or whatever, but like she was new to me. Damn it. (laughs) Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, that's, that actually doesn't even matter because the manga didn't conclude until either last year or the year before. So that actually doesn't even matter now that I think about it. Okay. The sheer amount of just knowledge and anime shit that you have in your head astounds me sometimes. I watch Neon Genesis Evangelion once a month, and I wish that was a joke. You say a lot of words in that sentence, and I don't know what any of it means. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. uh, I don't know. I just feel like, again, some of the changes could be cool, but I don't know if they're cool enough to warrant, like, me... Warrant retelling the story that's already been told with these new characters. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. So, like, and I don't, I don't know, man. (sighs) I I will say, um, in my opinion, it does pay off by the third film. Um, because, uh, and I I know you said that you you missed the post-credit scene for this movie, um, there are two scenes in this movie that set off a huge fucking thing that people debated for fucking years um, that was more or less confirmed uh, uh, in the in the final movie. And that is the fact that uh, this like th- these movies, they're they're not a retelling. They they are actually a sequel. Thanks, August Ezra. I'll tell you the same exact thing and the listeners that I told you in the private chat when you told me this. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make a goddamn bit of sense. (laughs) Because you're not done. Uh, I mean... It's not going to. Sure, maybe. 
maybe you're right. Maybe I need to go through all the way through. But like what I'm saying is like the original series, everyone fucking dies. Correct. So, so is this just purgatory and they're just like it's a time loop like. Yes, it is a time loop. Fucking shoot me. It goes the original series, then the manga and then the uh, uh, rebuild films. Um, in the second movie, uh, there's a scene, there's like a super brief scene with, uh, or it actually might be in the first one. I can't remember. Uh, but there's a super brief scene that shows Kaoru, uh, on the moon and it shows him, uh, waking up, coming out of his coffin. But there are also hundreds of coffins lined up next to him that all contain him. Um, and the post-credit scene of the film uh, it, they changed it for the dub for whatever fucking reason. Uh, but in the original Japanese version, uh, uh, it takes place like right after, uh, 2.22 ends and it has uh Kaoru in Ava unit six descending from the moon. And he says, this time I will finally make you happy. And that is a reference to the fact that this is a time loop and Kaoru is the only one that is, uh, pretty much self-aware of what the fuck is going on. And I know that makes zero sense right now based off the two movies that you have seen, but it will make sense by the end. Okay. Kind of. I mean, I'll it's take, a fucking time loop. They never make it. sense, but they never fully make any goddamn sense in anything that does it, but it, they do their best. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I will continue this out, but uh, I'm not going to be happy about it. The third movie really is great. It makes me sad. A lot, it, a lot of people hate the third film because of how drastically different it is. Nothing that happens in the third film is anything that you've seen in the original series. Not like not even kind of remotely. Um, and a lot of people hate it for that. A lot of people hate how drastically different it is. But I, for what it was, I fucking enjoy it. Um, I also just got to see lots of Shinji and Kaoru, and I enjoyed that a whole whole lot. Um, see, I'm going to be honest with you. The, the whole idea that like, um, I enjoy this thing. I want to see it redone with better animation. Doesn't make a whole lot of fucking sense to me. Like, yeah, I, if, if you're well from, from the standpoint of a remake specifically, mm-hmm. like if you're going to remake something, why would you like, why would you want that specifically? Why would you not want something that tells like take the basis of the original thing that you love mm-hmm. and make something new with it. Like I don't yeah, understand. I agree. I don't know. I mean like if you want that exact same thing just, you know, remade then sure, I guess, but like to me that's kind of boring because like I've already seen that. Yeah, and like I don't have to see it again. And that's I mean, well that's another thing is like if you want to watch the original thing or play the original thing, it's there. Yeah, exactly. Like it's you can there. do that. I don't know. There's literally nothing stopping you. But I, yeah, a lot of people, like I said, a lot of people fucking hate the third film because it's so drastically different. Uh, I think that that was a good thing because I would probably have gotten tired of watching the third film having the exact same fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Agree with that. Well, Dylan, it's it's oh. now your turn. Tell us about okay. gym life. 
You know, hearing you two speak so passionately reminds me about the trauma that came from my childhood and my parents would argue. I don't know why. Oh, <laughs> just there. Yeah. Speaking of traumatic events, though, so I've been going to the gym. Oh, God. <laughs> and if you remember a couple of weeks ago on one of the podcasts, I was like, I have no time. I am miserable. Woe is me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I decided to fix that. that. Yeah. It's there if no one else remembers it. You can go back and listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I started trying to make more uh, time for just going to the gym and being more productive. So that's what I do super early in the morning. Like I'm there at 630 uh, in the a.m. And it's really helped me kind of recenter myself, which is what I needed to. Um, and on top of that, like obviously I have the, the physical side coming back. Like I feel great. Um, just a lot of benefits to it. I encourage everyone to do it and try it and yep. changed a little bit of, it's not even a little bit. I've completely changed my diet. Um, oh yeah. Just to, yeah. Just to try to <clears throat> amplify what I'm doing inside of the gym. Like my, uh, what I eat now reflects that. Dude, that's um, fucking awesome. Yeah. It's a lot of home cooking, but I love to cook. So it's just, uh, not, not even necessarily meal prepping, but a lot of fresh meals. Like when I get home from the gym, I'll make something fresh. That's just full of protein and just some green stuff to go. And like, I will literally come home and make, uh, just some fresh pan seared chicken. Mm-hmm. And then like, I will we'll slice, peel like a entire cucumber and I'll just eat that. And it's perfect. It fills me up if it's fresh, gets me energized. But, um, and there's a lot of that. Like I'm eating more, but smaller meals. So it's 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 been a huge change over the past two weeks, but the benefits are there. I'm feeling good because of it. Nice. That's good, man. I'm happy to hear that for you. Thank you. It's it's a nice change from two weeks ago. <laughs> Dude, I, I like I've thought about uh, starting to try to go to the gym, but my only problem is the only time every day. Like if I were to try to make a routine out of it, the only time I could do it every day is like getting up at 430 and going and working out for like 30 to 45 minutes and then getting ready and then like taking a shower there and then just going straight to work. And that sounds awful that because I work, my days are 12 hour days. That sounds miserable. Yeah, that's why it's so hard, man. But maybe right. Like you have more time coming. Mm. Yeah, for sure. That would always be cool. And like I said, I can go to any one of those gyms that we were talking about. If you're ever down, you got free time and you're like, hey, are you going to be at the gym X day? I got some free time. I'll totally go. Just Word. walk around. I might Honestly, I might start hitting you up on my off days because then, you know, I can just get up and go whenever I want because yeah. Madison and the kids don't usually wake up till 10 anyway. So I can just get up at Hell whatever yeah, time you on. would be there. Okay, um, cool. When I was going to the gym uh, regularly... And I say that, but it only lasted for like three months. Um, but that was a start for me. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I was going at 1030 at night and staying until 1230 at night. Holy and shit. And then going home and getting up at 5 a.m. for work. And that's why after three months of doing that, I was like, nope, I'm out. I was about to say the burnout would be crazy. Like, I can't do this shit anymore. Yeah. That's so, rough, dude. It's also because the guy that uh, I was working out with was my uh, children's godfather, and he he's a very well taken care of guy, very fit, very <laughs> and he would put me through the goddamn ringer, bro. There were nights that I would work; he would force me to work out so hard I would go home and fucking throw up. 
Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, he put fun. my ass through the fucking ringer. And after three yeah. months of that, I was like, no, fuck this. I'm out. Yeah, it's like, I'm done. This is enough fitness for me. It's like, <laughs> I was like, you promised this would be fun, and I'm just miserable. Yep. And it's not just you. Like, Josh, you're starting soon, too. Yep. I will. Supposedly. Me and Kayla That's will awesome. be going uh, starting Monday. Uh, we I could all go yeah. together and just circle jerk each other. That's probably good cardio, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think when there's only one woman into Bukaki. Uh, oh, no, it's just like called a uh, gangbang. No, I thought it, we were jerking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, never mind. Okay. You're right. There we You're go. Right. Yeah. Wow. Move on. I don't like Okay. <laughs> you did. I didn't like that conversation. I did not do that. So, I meant just uh, the three of us. Oh, sorry. It is, boys. Hey. Sir? It's time for more wrestling Daddy? talk. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. That's a pretty it's typical like thing to follow week. after being called daddy. <laughs> uh, uh, has it happened every week? Oh, I just meant like a wrestling event happens oh, every week. It's weird. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> weekly. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm here to talk about wrestling, and goddamn, it is a refreshing turn of events, the thing that I watched. Uh, so... Uh, I don't remember if I actually said this or not, but like I am a huge WWE fan. Um, I growing up, I was a WCW boy because that's what my grandparents watched. But when WCW went under, uh, I went back through and like, um, you know, I was watching old WWF stuff and then I was in for the ruthless aggression stuff. And, um, then I kind of fell off for a little bit and then I came back around 2013, 2012, something like that. And I got really hooked again and I watched religiously for about, I want to say like four years. Um, and then I kind of fell off again. Uh, well, maybe, maybe more than four years. It might've been fucking like five or six. Um, but either way, um, yeah, I, I'm a WWE guy, but I don't know if you guys noticed when I was talking about SummerSlam from a couple of weeks ago, I was real upset with, you know, the product that they were pushing, putting out. Mm. Um, and that still remains the case. I'm very not okay with the fact that they're getting some of the talent that I really love. And um, I don't like, I, I mean, I haven't really liked, a lot of the storytelling that they've been doing for years. Like there was a storyline I remember specifically from, uh, I don't remember exactly when, but it was maybe like four years ago, maybe three, uh, where they had one of my favorite wrestlers getting jobbed out to a older talent. And the storyline revolved around his real life fiance at the time, uh, getting, you know, banged by this dude and becoming oh. his like sex slave or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a real thing. That was a real mm. thing. Uh, I don't know about that. And, uh, yeah. So, um, I, it just, one of those things that like, I, uh, I'm not a fan of what they've been doing here for the last, um, little while mm -hmm. uh but they're in the last two years has been this upstart company called aew um 
And AEW is kind of like what um, WCW was back in the day uh, for WWE. Um, Like it uh, is the alternative that is really kind of, I don't say wrestling focused because I don't know that that is necessarily true of WCW because they had some wild ass fucking storylines, but the talent in WCW was fucking insane. Like they had like fucking all time great talent with the likes of like Chris Jericho and Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit and, uh, uh, fucking Ray Mysterio. All these people who like just came up through the ranks of WCW and eventually became gigantic names in the WWE. Um, and AEW is kind of, if you look at the way that they're currently going about their business, it really is kind of weirdly reminiscent of WCW in that, uh, they're taking old older talent from um WWE and kind of repurposing them for their own stuff but the difference being that these people are actively trying to drive new talent to the top of the card it is something that they recognize is necessary if their business is to continue to grow WWE, for whatever reason, has decided that it is much better to just make nostalgia plays and have fucking Goldberg going for the WWE title again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's like that's a whole other thing. Or, well, not a whole other thing, but it's a, like a whole bunch of stuff that's not necessarily all that important. Uh because at the end of the day, I want to talk about this event. And this event was basically AEW's version of WrestleMania. Um, and it was called All Out. And it happened on August 5th. And this was just an incredibly refreshing wrestling thing like it it didn't have a whole lot of fluff to it like i feel like every major wwe event does it was incredible from a in-ring perspective which is not something that uh you'd necessarily get from a lot of wwe events today because wwe is worried about making sure that stories go over um and that's not necessarily a bad thing because you need stories to attach to the to the uh you know the event or or not the event but the um the uh combat god damn couldn't think of the word um but i feel like wrestling is a thing where the the storytelling comes from the combat in, in several key big ways. Um, and one of those ways is, uh, 
telling the story through the actions. And that's one of the things that I think this card got really right, especially with like a handful of um, really, really great like matches later in the show. Um, Like the uh, CM Punk match with Darby Allen, where CM Punk had not wrestled in seven years. Like it was, seven years since he had done that. And he's this old wily veteran. He's a student of the game, uh, to, to fucking pull some real WWE announcer bullshit. Um, but he went in there and was facing this, this kid who was like a fresh face. Like he's a young up and coming talent. And the whole story with punk coming in was like, I'm going to teach you. Basically, like mm-hmm. I'm going to come in. I'm going to give you guys the rub. I'm here to put over new talent. I want to like make you household names sort of thing. And like, that's fucking awesome. Aw- great. Awesome. This is shit that like WWE should have been doing for a very long time at this point, And they have refused to fucking do for whatever goddamn reason. Um, and so he comes in and he has this match and the match that they tell through their physical actions is one of the master versus like the, the young buck who doesn't know what he's doing. And like, it is one of those, it was one of those moments or, or matches. I, I should say that I was like enthralled the entire time. And you know, it wasn't the the best match in the world. It, it wasn't like an all time fucking like this is a top 10 fucking greatest wrestling bouts ever, but it was enough to keep me fucking highly motivated the entire time. And I have not gotten that from WWE in a very long time, with the exception of like a handful of matches. Like the the Edge Rollins match from SummerSlam was really good, but you know it was saddled by a whole bunch of fucking garbage in the middle. Um, and it's not like this was full of like excellent stuff. Like there was dumb shit in here too, but like the dumb shit didn't detract from what was going on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like I've been going on this for a while. Uh, it's, it was fantastic. Uh, if, if you can get access to this somehow, uh, it streams on like fight TV, uh, or fight.com or fight TV. I don't remember what it yeah. is. Um, or I'm sure you can pick it up on a pay-per-view from like, you know, if you have like cable or whatever. But if you're a wrestling fan, you should watch this because it is everything that the WWE is not doing. And I I, I feel like the AEW is probably how I will be consuming wrestling going forward. Oh, yeah. So... I've never tried wrestling. I've never tried watching it. It's so much fun, man. <laughs> I might uh, have you one day. Yeah. So, uh, I guess we should get to our main topic because we've been going for just about an hour. Isn't that fun? Um. All right. So... All stories, no matter the medium, have patterns set within them. Joseph Campbell's 1949 book, The Hero with a Thousand 
faces showcase uh, God showcase just how universal storytelling is. In fact, the entire Star Wars saga is based in part on the teachings of that book. Uh, so what does that all entail, you might ask? Well, mostly the book detailed a sort of structure that had been apparent in storytelling for centuries, one often referred to as the hero's journey. The hero's journey is an extremely useful tool in realizing what can work within a, a given story. Now, with that all said, the hero's journey doesn't work without a hero. Well, what makes a hero? Or better yet, what makes a protagonist? And even better yet, what makes a compelling video game protagonist? That, dear listeners, is what we plan to talk about for you today. So, um, I put it here. Honestly, we probably could have just rambled on. I have a couple points that I want to make specifically, but uh, we... The big one, the big question that immediately we, we got to ask is what, what makes a compelling protagonist? Mm. Um, and I'll throw it to you guys first because I've been talking for a lot. <laughs> uh, uh, wrestling. Yeah, they got to be tight. Tight. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Nailed it. Okay. Got to be cool. That's it. All right, next. Well, um, <laughs> like for me personally, uh, like I, I don't know how other people feel about this, but like as far as like what makes a protagonist really compelling to me is um, like, you know, there there are some games and, and stories and movies where a protagonist has no problems at all. And he's just this overpowered hero that overcomes every obstacle obstacle that comes his way. The Goku um, effect. <sighs> yep. <laughs> Um, to me, that's not a good protagonist. Um, I, I want to see the protagonist suffer. I I want to see him at his lowest and I want to see, uh, what, what pushes him and what gives him the strength to overcome the adversity that he didn't think he would otherwise normally be able to. And it's, it's protagonists like that, that I tend to, uh, latch onto more so than others, so to speak. Yeah, essentially, mine echoes that in the sense that they have to be relatable. Yeah. Um, or at least they give me an opportunity to have relatable moments with them to make me connect with that character even more. Uh, I think what you said, them being you know kicked around in the dirt throughout their lowest of the low, that's a good representation of it, but... Maybe something that also reflects the values that I personally have. That could that mm-hmm. could uh, be a huge uh, pull for me when it comes to just having a protagonist that I truly relate with. Uh, I think a lot of games can capture that too. Um, and uh, there has to be a level of immersion there because that's the protagonist has to do so good of a job that I get wrapped up in not only them as the protagonist, but the story overall. And I think Arthur Morgan does a great job at that. Um, or Joel from the last of us. I think you get really wrapped up in who these characters are and they are relatable, at least to me. And that's it. it that's what draws me in. Yep. Yeah. I, I agree with everything that you both said. Uh, I, I think a lot of what you guys said in particular is what, I what I look for in characters that I like. Um, but as far as what I think 
uh, makes a, a a really compelling uh, protagonist is just someone who has a very clear. Uh, I I feel like this is going to sound weird, but I feel like having a like a rule set. Does does that make sense? Like like a like a creed. Like essentially, I know how this apply. character will operate. Like yeah. I I this character feels human to me. Like for for instance, if we take Joel as an example, right? Like I know where Joel has been for the majority of his life in terms of his his emotional state. I know that he lost his daughter. I know that that kind of scarred him and i know that uh he's been living with that pain for you know an indeterminate amount of time i don't don't remember how long it actually Mm was um or lee from the walking dead which you know i'll bring up a little bit later you know we get his backstory uh within the first what five minutes of that game and from just what we gather with those five minutes, we know exactly how he like what his the core of his character is. And we know how he will respond to situations and stuff like that because he feels human. A human would react this way. You know what I mean? And for me, the... I guess humanistic characteristics are what really set apart characters for me personally. Yeah. And that's the whole relatability thing that compels me in terms of characters, because like you were saying, Lee's a great example, but just going back to Joel, it's a character that you can identify with in some regard because we all have loss, right? We've all experienced loss in some point in our lives. And then you see it from a father's perspective and it's like you empathize with that. Even if you've never gone through that, you can empathize with this. So like you said, the compelling aspect being just kind kind of being relatable on a human level, that's what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll get into it later, but uh, well, no, I mean, let's Let's move on to the next question that I had because <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Uh, but yeah. um, the the next thing that I wanted to, I mean, I guess talk about was how like because I think what we were describing just now is characters. Right. But like video game protagonists are are different. So like would we like. How specifically do you think that video game protagonists differ from other media like books and TV or comics and, 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 uh, mm-hmm. you know, movies or, um, I think that it's more of an interactivity thing for me. Like I am becoming that person, whomever it might be. Um, and also video games have a great benefit of being able to go longer than a two hour movie screen time or a 30 minute to hour long episode on TV. You have more time with these uh, characters that's more personable. Um, So 
in terms of how do they differentiate, it's definitely the interactivity because you get to spend so much time with these characters and you get to uh, see how they interact on all levels, whether it be a part of the story or whether it be within the world. You know, I think a lot of games nowadays do a great job at seeing characters um, kind of interact in the world. I I'm, I forget his name. Uh the character from Ghost of Tsushima, the main character, I've already forgot his name, uh, or, Jedi or something. <clears throat> okay. So they do a great job from Sucker Punch just making Jin very humble and relatable as he's traversing the world. He takes note of a lot of things. He's very peaceful. Um, and I don't know. There's just there, there's that time where you get to, even though you're not doing anything, and the game, even if you're just traversing, you get to interact and you get to explore and you get to watch who they are. And you can spend so much time doing that because, like I said, you don't have a time limit to get to know these characters. It's you're there. You're hands on with them. You are that person. You step into the shoes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like um, that really kind of video games help to empathize characters or, or help us empathize with character. Right. Um, which is something that you don't necessarily get with uh, movies and TV all the time. Um, or even with other things like, uh, you know, even like books and uh, comics and stuff like that. Uh, right. There definitely is a level of empathy that you garner from just like embodying this person. Yeah. And that's, Something like the games do well is movies, they have a set path start to finish. Books, they have a set path start to finish. You can use your imagination in the midst of that time, but really what more can you do with the video game? It's there at your fingertips. You can take hundreds of hours doing literally anything you want, no matter the game. You can put yeah. as much as you want into it. So that's that's something else. that it just It just goes further to show how it distinguishes itself between you know video game protagonists and getting to know these characters and then the other mediums mm-hmm. yeah for sure uh do you have any thoughts austin other than you know what we've i mean on you guys kind of already n- fucking nailed it um uh i hate to pretty much echo off of both of you but uh, it, that's what it is it's to me it's the immersion um you know, kind of like what you guys said, you you can watch a two hour movie and, uh, you know, it, it's it's beginning to end. And that's just that's all it is. But uh, when you sit down and you play a game, you are uh, more or less you are essentially stepping into the shoes of this protagonist. Uh, I mean, whatever you do in that game is that protagonist's canon journey. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it is what you make of it. And that, that definitely helps bring it to a, uh, more, more real level. Um, just being able to, uh, kind of take control of that story. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, we actually touched on a lot of the questions that I had coming up. So (laughs) this might be a short topic. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, well, one thing that we, we didn't, I mean, we haven't even like remotely came across yet is how the protagonists uh, in video games have evolved over the years. Because you look back at like early arcade games and like stuff mm. like that. And, you know, there are a bunch of like uh, nameless protagonists or even like just outright non-existent characters, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, and then, you know, with NES and um, the advent of the home console and stuff like that, we started getting like actual stories, um, you know, with Mario and Zelda and stuff like that. But now we have fucking Arthur Morgan, who's one of the greatest, you know, written characters of really any medium ever, probably, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, wh- what do you think helped to facilitate that, uh, change? Um, for like one of the biggest things that I think of is like, obviously between, uh, what we have now and like, you know, like you were saying, like arcade, arcade games and, and stuff like that, like technology has changed and technology has made these, uh, has made these games, uh, has, has given these games the, the ability to add more, add, add kind of more context, uh, so to speak, like, um, um, I, fuck, I'm trying to think of how to say this, but like the words are just not fucking coming. Um, there's a deeper level of immersion now than there ever has been in gaming. Um, and, and I think that really helps the, uh, um, like that having that technology available is what help is to me, uh, what helps a person be able to relate with the protagonist that they're playing with, because it, it's just, it's, it's more it's just better told than than what it used to be i know that that sounds fucking stupid after no. i say it out loud but i cannot <laughs> come up with the words to figure out what i'm thinking well it's essentially i see what you're saying and that's really i think the main point that i agree on is that technology from start to finish has evolved mm. and as that has happened we've gotten games like um I'll even give, you know, Final Fantasy VII for its time was fantastic. It was huge, and there was, you know, a really relatable main character. But even beyond that, you know, there was just this long, expanded story. But you think of that as the pinnacle of its time, and then take a look at today's games like Ghost of Tsushima or The Witcher 3 and stuff like that, and you look at how that's evolved, and what happens is the game scales because of the technology has become much bigger. We have more choices of what we can do in the game to put our selves behind these characters more. A lot of it is dialogue choices. A lot of it is even how we take on missions and stuff like that. It's, it's evolved from point A to point B through great leaps in technology, but also by taking that technology and just giving more choice to the players. Um, in a lot of regards, but even then you look at games like the last of us with, and I'll keep echoing back to Joel because I think he's a fantastic example. We, we don't have a lot of choice with Joel, but what they did is that they gave us a cinematic masterpiece almost that we get to take our hands and experience, you know, we can dive into this. And none of that would have been made possible without the bounds that we've made in technology. Mm-hmm. For sure. Josh? He died. Sorry. Um, I was having a thought, and it took me down a road, and then I just lost track of what you guys were saying. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was like... Where did you go? I don't know, man. I have Dark path, dude. Yeah. Fun times. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, 
Well, I guess probably now would be the best time to uh, move into this. Um, who are some of our favorite video game protagonists? And uh, do either of you guys have want to start, or I mean, you can go and uh, I can. You want. Okay. If that, don't. Um, this was a hard one for me because, like, I especially here recently, like, I have been playing a lot of JRPGs that don't really have a defined protagonist. The protagonist is how you define them. Um, but one that's really stood out to me over the last couple of years, and I know we've talked about it on this podcast so fucking much, um, but it, it, it was uh, fucking Peter from uh, 2018's Marvel Spider-Man. Um, he, you know, you start out the game uh, uh, being he, he's an experienced hero. He's been doing this for eight years, but towards the end of his journey like shit really hits the fan in a way that you can tell peter has never experienced before um uh like when when doc ock breaks open the fucking raft and and peter now has to hunt down six of the worst villains he's ever put away but he has to do that all at the same fucking time and the game does a really good job at showing you just how fucking tense and stressful that was on peter and and just how hard that fucking was for him um, and then you have the whole Doc Ock revelation at the end. I, I mean, this 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 guy was a dad to him, essentially. Uh, he was a mentor. He was a hero. And and to see this man degenerate was had to have been such a crushing blow to him. And uh, uh, Doc Ock says something during the fight, or I think it's during the final confrontation. It, it might be at some point earlier. Um, but he says something along the lines of of the greatest people have to make the hardest sacrifices. And that's what Peter did here. He had to literally beat the shit out of his out of his mentor, his fucking hero. And not only that, but after resolving that conflict, he had the option of either curing the last close the last close person really to him or letting her die to save thousands of other people. And that's not a choice that anyone, no matter who you are, could easily make. And ultimately, in the end, Peter chose the greatest fucking sacrifice. He let go of one of the closest people to him that he still had left for for the greater good of the people around him, knowing that that's what she would want in the end. And that I I think that game knocked the whole protagonist uh, conversation out of the fucking part. Yeah. Yeah, Peter is fantastic um he is one of the one of the ones that i would have chosen um but i knew that i knew that one of you guys would pick him up Mm -hmm. so yeah he was totally gonna be on my list and then i saw austin put him there (laughs) then you got one of mine josh so it worked out um i had four or five but luckily you guys chose one of them so that's great (laughs) uh do you want to go ahead me next yeah so one of mine that I don't really get to talk about a lot, but was truly a, an influential part of probably the past decade for me was getting to experience Bayek from Assassin's Creed Origins as a character. Um, say what you want to about the game, you know, completely changed what we know about Assassin's Creed. That's fine. You know, that's its own debate. But Bayek as a character itself was truly an experience for me that I just I remember and 
it started essentially with you getting to know why he's doing what he's doing. You literally watch your son die in your arms like it's and it's brought on by this sinister organization. And it's awful. And he's enraged. He's not broken in the sense of just somber is overtaking him. It's sheer absolute rage and the voice acting that went behind his character was passionate and that's something that i feel like touching on what draws me into being able to get behind a protagonist is the voice acting and getting to experience the emotion that came out of bayek throughout assassin's creed origins it it drew me and it just made me want to keep going and i wanted to experience his story because i felt like i was in his shoes in those moments because of how just of a fantastic job they did with portraying uh, him as a character. So he is truly one of my favorites. I might not have origins in like my top five of all time, but it's one of my favorite experiences that I've had at least in the past decade. Hell yeah. Uh, well, um, I wanted to start my list out with something that I think is, I don't say controversial, but, uh, is definitely something that I don't think a lot of people would pick, and that's Nathan Drake from the Uncharted series. Mm. Uh, and I, I think that part of my affinity for him specifically is because of um, the fact that he is, I mean, more or less Indiana Jones, right? I mean, that, like, that's who he is. But if you look at the evolution of him specifically in regards to like where he stands over the course of all four games, like he grows a significant amount and, and grows from being this almost, almost childish person to someone who is trying to, you know, for lack of a better term, become an adult mm. and, uh, working through that at 40 plus years old, but also coming to terms with like trauma from his past. Like it doesn't really get talked about a lot, but like if you look at the events of the entire uncharted series from like beginning to end, Drake kind of got dealt a really shitty hand, uh, you know, growing up as a child. And I feel like watching, who he becomes and not, not even necessarily just watching, but like understanding where his story goes is something that I, you know, really enjoyed for the, how many fucking games, four games. Um, yeah, it's, it's just good stuff. Uh, and I, I don't think that, uh, he gets the credit that he deserves. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, Drake would definitely be a pick for me. Um, never, I have yet to play a single Uncharted game. They're stupid fun. I like those games a lot. Maybe one day. Uh, yeah. So uh, Uncharted, Austin, do you want to give us your next pick? Sure. Um, my next pick was. <sighs> 
as much as I have a love-hate relationship with this game at this point, man, um, it was Roxas. Uh, well, maybe not this game, because more specifically from uh, 358 over two days than Kingdom Hearts 2. Um, we meet Roxas, obviously, for the first time in Kingdom Hearts 2, but then the DS... Uh, I want to call it a spinoff, but I guess it's technically not a spinoff because it is completely canon and kind of needed to know what's going on. Um, but Roxas just kind of starts out doing what he's told, meeting a mysterious group of people, learning he has a power that he has no idea how he got it, and he doesn't even know how he got where he's at. And he he's just blindly following orders until he realizes, like, hey, whoa, like, something isn't fucking right here. Like, this, something isn't normal. And by the time his story gets to Kingdom Hearts 2, he, he's conflicted. He's learned about Sora, and he knows that he's an extension of Sora, but he's having an inner conflict uh, trying to come to terms with the fact that, like, it's not fair. He wants to exist, too. Why, like, you know, why does Sora get to be... Why does Sora get to be the one that exists, but Roxas is the one that has to kind of fade away? Um, obviously, that that's rectified by the time Kingdom Hearts 3 comes around, and... Oh boy, I was crying and screaming in that cutscene because I fucking loved it. Roxas is easily one of my favorite characters from that franchise. Um, but, you know, during the events of Kingdom Hearts 2, even though he doesn't want it to be that way, uh, he doesn't want to be the one that has to fade away. He ultimately accepts it, that that's his place is within Sora. And I fucking love that. Yeah. I fucking love you. <laughs> Me? Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, well, um, <sighs> another one I'll Fine. touch on real quick before oh, we okay. get to you, Dylan. <laughs> Just because I have three and you only have two. And Austin's already gone okay. through two of his. So then I'm not, you know, talking a bunch yeah, there at the end. I was so ready. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, you can he go if you want. Cut me off. No, I've already come to turn. It was a quick five stages of grief, but it's fine. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I just want to talk briefly about Lee from The Walking Dead. Um, Lee's story is something that I will cherish forever. Um, one thing that particularly stands out to me is he's a lead black protagonist, and we don't get a whole hell of a lot of those in video games. Um, we get black protagonists for sure. And we have for a, a long time, but, uh, we don't normally get lead black antagonists or I emphasize Yo. black. That's not the word I meant to emphasize. I meant to emphasize lead. Yeah, stop talking. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, uh, the story around him, though, is impeccable and his road to redemption from someone who, you know, killed his wife's uh, lover, you know, and, and, you know, part of the thing, you know, you brought up with Joel or whatever is like when you can see like bits of yourself or you can empathize with a character like, I mean, I totally understand the anger that would come with like having your wife sleep with another man. You know what I mean? Like, I totally understand that. And I, that is something that I wouldn't like to have happen to me. Um, but going from that to 
this man who kind of rallies an entire community around him and becomes like a, uh, like a, I don't know the correct word that I want to say, but like a father figure, I mean, is really fucking huge. It's a huge fucking deal. And, um, I, yeah, I really fucking like Lee's story a lot. It was good. He was one of the drawing factors. And I will say, I have not finished that entire series. I finished the first, you know, bit. I know Lee's story. But I'm telling you, dude, he was the whole reason I kept going, just watching his relationship with Clementine uh, evolve over that brief period that we had him. I mean, it was it was a beautiful story. Yeah, I need to play the rest of those games. I've only played the first season as I well. do too, man. There's a lot. Yeah. And like the Michonne branch or whatever yep. it was. I need to do that one. Yep. Uh, well, why don't you go ahead and give us your um, your next pick? Uh, my last one is Geralt of Rivia. So, like I said, there would have been a completely different list had you two not taken the two that I wanted to talk about. Um, but Gale is a huge one too. And I'm actually glad to have a chance to talk about him. Cause like I said, in the past podcast or two, the Witcher three is only the first game that I played from this franchise. So all I have outside of now the television series and the books that I read, I only had this image of who Geralt was. And a part of what made this game so special to me was getting to learn who he was as a character as well. And the more that I started to flesh who he was out, I saw just how cunning he was. And it was, it was really like an alluring factor. Even as me as a player, I was almost mesmerized by it. He, he's very witty. He's very intelligent at what he does. And on top of that, he's incredibly passionate. And when I say he's passionate, I mean, in the terms of the relationships that he has, and I'm not just talking about romantic relationships, I'm talking about the friends that he has, the family and theory that he has. He is a very passionate person and witchers are supposed to be devoid of that. They're supposed to be devoid of most of their emotions, or at least it says they're supposed to be. So getting to kind of see this paradox that is Geralt of Rivia is absolutely fascinating. And I love the mystique that he gives off. Um, but on top of all of that, you know, he's, this whole game is about finding his adoptive daughter, Siri. So you get to see the fatherly side on top of this cunning and passionate man with friends and, you know, all these other relationships, the ones that stands out most to him is the father daughter relationship that he has with Siri. And he is very loyal to her. He's dutiful in the sense that he has a mission and he, he is set out. He's hell bent to find her and jokes aside, like, yeah, you can explore the entire Skellige Isles before you ever find Siri. Um, at the end of the at the end of the true story, he is very set on finding her, and he does. And on his way of finding her, you get to see that this man is a literal monster, a butcher in terms of combat. He is strong and fierce, and the last person you would ever want to go up against in combat. He is 
not only taking on the wild hunt, but just taking on fearsome beasts along his way. Um, it's just, there's so many aspects to him that you can kind of follow and flesh out along the journey to find Siri and ultimately, you know, go into the two expansions. There's just so much to see and unravel behind the, the fog that is Geralt of Rivia. And it truly captured me. It's another reason why the Witcher three is so high on my list of favorite games. It's, he, as a character itself, just made the experience all that more lovable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Geralt is a wonderful character that uh, I didn't expect to love as much as I did. Um, and I am a huge fan of Siri as well. I think uh, the the journey that those two go on specifically in that game is is really something else. Yes, and if you can manage to get the good ending at the end of the game, it makes it so much more worth it. It's such a beautiful ending to me. Yeah, I I agree. Um, speaking of really beautiful endings, uh, the last one I couldn't choose between, um, but it is the two lead protagonists from the Rockstar-developed Red Dead games, um, John Marston and Arthur Morgan. Uh, it is, I, I'm an emotional dude. Uh, I mean, I come in the discord all the time talking about things that, you know, I watched or played that made me cry or whatever. Like I am very emotional and I, I wear those emotions on my sleeves and shit like that. Uh, mm -hmm. but video games are one of those things that like, it's kind of rare that they make me cry. Um, I can probably count on, both hands the number of times that you know i've cried during a video game um but both of the red dead games really had me fucking sobbing uh by the end um arthur's tale of i i mean it, it's in the name right for both of these games they're both games about redemption and arthur's story of redemption is just I genuinely believe one of the best video game narratives ever made. Um, you know, people can fucking call me out if they want, but I just, there are beats in red dead redemption that fucking movies that I adore don't hit. You know what I mean? There are, emotional beats in the first red dead with John that, you know, books that I absolutely adore don't hit. And it's a testament. I think not only to the narratives, cause the narratives are, are, you know, great, but to the power of those characters in specific, the idea of wanting to, atone for your past sins. You know what I mean? Is something that like everybody can get behind. And, uh, you know, the tale of, of John is one of trying to better yourself and, and prove, uh, prove that you are a good person, I guess. Like, that, that's not really what it is because he wants to start his own life and he has to get past the, you know, 
in a way, his story is about overcoming trauma. Uh, but yeah, I, I just, those two characters and those two narratives in particular, I think are excellent uses of video game storytelling and empathy. And I adore both of those games. They're the, the second one I think is, is, is flawed in many ways, but I, I would say that both of those games are top tier narrative experiences. And if you have not played them, you most definitely should. Hell yeah. Did you say the second one is flawed in many ways? Yeah, I, well, I think it is something that I have come to realize about Rockstar games in general. Um, and that's that the open world stuff is awesome and it allows you to do what you want to do. But at the same time, it go it's like the antithesis of um, what the narrative is trying to do. And that's a little jarring to me, if that makes sense. So essentially, you're in in essence like we have a band of criminals that are trying to hide, but the open world lets you essentially go right out in public and do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, yeah, and and it doesn't really have like uh, any consequences for doing that sort of thing. Um, like if you want to go out, get away with murder. Exactly. If you want to go out and and fucking rack up like a a billion dollar bounty sort of thing and then clear it out or not even necessarily clear it out but like go back to the camp your your bounty's cleared you know what i mean yeah and like there's like a a weird dissonance between like like the story that it's telling and the open world structure and it's not necessarily bad but like it just doesn't I feel it like it doesn't click and add up. And that's a fantastic point. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. That's, that's actually very well put. I just never thought about that before. Yeah. And it, like I said, it's, it's not a, a deal breaker because I think Arthur's story in particular holds all of my attention in that game. So yeah. I don't necessarily think that it is a bad thing. Uh, like it doesn't, do you, do you find it immersion breaking almost? Yes. Yeah. That's probably the best way to put it is it, 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 it breaks the, the narrative immersion that I have when I am going on Arthur's journey. And I get that. And I think a part of the reason why I don't necessarily run into that issue is because when I play the game, I play it my way, obviously. So, a lot of the things I'm doing is very nature oriented, like all jokes aside, I'm fishing or I'm hunting, you know, I'm trying to complete the legendary outfits and stuff like that. But that's a fair point because I just never thought about that. Cause you're right. Like what's the point of being this, you know, very nefarious group of outlaws who are on the run from the feds or whatever. And you're literally strolling through every major city there is like, that's, that's fair and accurate. And it's a side of it that I never thought about. Yeah. Uh, Wow. Either See, way. we had a nice branch of conversation right there. That was nice. We That was a special edition. Spe- right special edition episode inside a regular episode. Yes. <laughs> Great. Austin, quick, say something positive about Red Dead, and then you're included. I've never played it. Awesome. Oh, Let's God go. damn it. <laughs> you know, funny enough, I have purchased both. 
Oh, I just never played them. I just, what the fuck? I don't. I think I played. Uh, I think I played like maybe forty-five minutes of the online on Red Dead Two. That's the worst. I know, but uh, yeah, I I just I just never got around to. <sighs> also, while we're talking about it, since I'm pretty sure every Rockstar executive listens to our podcast, please introduce sixty yeah. frame update for the ps5 so i can lay my ass in bed and play the shit Do you guys want to <laughs> know why great. like the real reason why i've never played those two games it's very dumb yeah. i would absolutely love to hear this i cannot fucking stand western films i hate them i hate them with every well, fiber good of the fucking thing game. is that this isn't a movie uh, yeah. yeah it's but it's a fucking western game and that has turned me off from it yeah that is stupid austin <laughs> And yeah, I didn't say that it wasn't. I said I, it was done. I'm not the biggest fan of Western films either. Uh, I kind of think that a lot of them are boring, but I love these games. Yeah. Dude, I don't necessarily like tentacle porn, but I'll be a part of it. Um. Okay. And it's uh, so weird that I hate Western films the way that I do, because, like, I like not modern stuff, but, like, early 2000s country music, like, I fuck with but ooh, I, like, ooh, ooh, and like ooh, late night actually country. goddamn happening. <laughs> you didn't know that? Dude, I fucking love early 2000s and like late 90s country music. He's a big Who Kobe are Keith you fan. as a person? You anime wee metalcore loving fucking hillbilly. <laughs> Dude, the first the first time I met Josh and Kayla, um uh when we when we left Taco Mac to go to uh Thirsty Turtle, I pulled up next to you guys. And uh, I, I think I was playing, like, a Tim McGraw album from, like, 2000. Oh, what the and, fuck uh, is happening? <laughs> Matt, David was laughing at me so hard because I was jamming out to Tim McGraw, but I stepped out of the car in, like, combat boots, ripped up black skinny jeans. My nails were painted black. And David was like, what the fuck is happening? This doesn't make any sense to me. And then Kayla I... just kind of looked at me, and she was like, you know, I liked you. And then I heard that, and now I don't. I just think if that if we could put one person's picture next to any definition in the dictionary, we should put yours right next to identity crisis. Oh, dude, I I want to wear a cowboy hat in public so bad, but you don't understand how how badly I crave that. Um, I have a beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous fucking hat that was passed down to me from my deceased grandfather. Uh, but I, I don't wear it because I, I don't fit it. So I don't wear it. It's an identity, I, truly. Uh, Let's just go. I, you know who's having an identity crisis right now? Uh, you? Yes, me. Um, because I am kind of in a weird, I don't want to play games mood right now. Uh, that I've been is weird. Watching a Aren't lot you of just movies. playing Dead by Daylight. Uh, yeah, but. Uh, you mean like single player experiences? Well, Something uh, worth talking about. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. Yes and no, <laughs> if that uh, makes sure. sense. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm just not in the mood. Like, I, I feel like almost like I've kind of burnt myself out on playing video games, if that makes sense, because mm-hmm. I've uh, been playing so much over the last, like, um, 
I don't know. Quarter. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I kind of just want to like, I've, I've kind of gotten to the point where I just kind of want to sit and chill for a little bit. Yeah. I can um, understand that. Especially before fourth quarter starts and there's a shit ton of games that you actually might want to play. Yeah. I'm shocked that you haven't played Deathloop. Yeah. So that's the, I just downloaded it yesterday and today was an absolute shit show at work. So I didn't get a chance to do anything with it. Um, but that's, that's something that I will be playing very soon. I also have Tales of Arise um, in my um, to play queue, so to speak. Um, so that's something that is coming. Um, if you I'm if you wind up playing it before I do, and you probably will, I'm very curious to hear what you say because I was talking with Tani about it a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago, I'm not sure, in Discord, and we were like, you know, it's not really on our radar. The last one we played was Tales of Symphonia back on the GameCube. And I think he, he, he might have played a few since then, but me, I haven't played one just because not one really caught my attention. And then I started watching this in terms of gameplay trailers and then stuff on Twitch, and I'm kind of digging it. So it definitely hopped up on the list to play. Yeah, yeah. If uh, if I get around to it uh, anytime soon, I will definitely let you know immediately. Um, yeah, but Deathloop definitely comes first. Yes, for sure. Deathloop oh. is what I assume is going to be my front runner for game of the year. So uh, it will definitely be coming first. That's a weird way to pronounce Ratchet and Clank. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> we will see. But you guys have been playing stuff. Um, you guys want to go ahead, Sponge. Awesome. Expound? Um, Sponge. Okay. Expound. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I uh, I finished Persona 4 Golden. And you did it, fellas. I did it. Um, I am uh, currently, I think I'm like halfway through uh, Persona 3. So, hopefully, maybe by next week I'll be able to talk about that. Um, I don't know because I'm going to be honest. I don't like it anywhere near as much as I like 4 and 5. Um so far, I mean, maybe maybe it'll grow on me, but so far, I'm not enjoying it as much as I enjoyed uh, 4 and 5, but I was, <sighs> Persona 4 threw me through a fucking loop, man. Like, the, the, whole, the whole setting is, um, just like every other Persona game, you are a transfer student that moves to a new town, and conveniently, as soon as you get there, shit starts to hit the fucking fan. Um, you, uh, uh, you play as a... Young student who moves to a fictional town called Inaba, and as soon as he gets there, uh, these really crazy fucking murders just start happening. Um, uh, people are being found dead, like strung up on phone poles or like strung up to the sides of buildings, and nobody can figure out what's going on. The only thing people know is every couple of days, a thick fog rolls into the town, and whenever the fog clears, they find a body. Um... So naturally, uh, you, you, you end up living with your, uh, uncle and your niece who, uh, I didn't really care for at the beginning of the game, but by the end of the game, the niece, Nanako, I cried harder when she said goodbye than any other character in that fucking game. Um, I, I loved her relationship with the protagonist. It, it was this really sweet, like brother sister relationship and i just absolutely fucking loved it i i was enthralled with her as a character um but eventually uh you 
find out about the existence of this place called the TV World. Um, I, I'm sure it probably had an actual name. I can't remember if that's what that was actually called or if that's just what every character in the game referred to it as. Um, and and you, you, you get into the TV world, you uh, realize you have the power to summon personas, blah, blah, blah. Uh, same other persona story. You meet a book, uh, cast of friends that all have similar experiences that end up with the power of personas. So you and your group of teen fucking friends decide to go into the TV world and try to figure out who this fucking killer is. Because the only thing you know about him is that the killer is definitely using this TV world as a method of killing these people. Um, I really thought at first the killer was going to be obvious. Uh, there was a character named Adachi who just so happened to show up at every crime scene and was just always there throughout your entire journey. And like the game, I really felt like the game was making it obvious that he was the fucking killer. Um, then out of nowhere, this little kid comes out uh, claiming that he had killed somebody and that he was the killer the whole time. You go after him, you capture, uh, you fucking fight him and the police arrest him. You find out he's a killer, but he is not the killer that's been plaguing the story. You later meet a, uh, a delivery driver who uh, claims he is throwing people into the TV world to quote unquote save them. So naturally you think, oh, well, this guy's the fucking killer. No, he was actually trying to save people. Every time he saw somebody on TV, he was scared that they were going to be the next victim. So he threw them in the TV world as a way to keep them safe, not knowing that that's how those people were going to fucking die because the TV world is a very dangerous fucking place and people just fucking die there. Uh, pretty much if you don't have the power to use a persona, you're probably going to die. Um, and then it all turned around to be a dachi. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on? You have given me three different fucking options throughout this entire game. You threw me off what I actually thought the killer was just for the killer to be the exact fucking person that I thought it was. And I really fucking enjoyed that. Um, come to find out by the end of the story, this was all the work of an evil goddess that was pretty much just playing a fucking game and seeing where it was going. Um, I... <sighs> I didn't like this story anywhere near as much as I liked Persona 5, and I I feel like that's just bias, because um, this really is a great fucking game. I can absolutely see why this is this is usually uh, the game that I see Persona fans say their favorite, and I can understand that. Um, I think I'm just too partial to Persona 5 Royal to say that, but this is genuinely a beautiful, fantastic game. From the mysterious story and the settings to the super colorful characters that that you get to interact with and and form close bonds with, and uh, I, I, these characters, some of the side uh, of the side characters here were much more colorful to me than some of the characters in Persona Five were, um, and some were unexpected for me. Uh, there is a teammate named Yukiko that I ended up absolutely just falling in fucking love with. Um, I, I, she, she was, uh, her family ran like some kind of inn and she kind of was having an identity crisis cause she was, you know, more or less going to be forced to take over the inn and she isn't sure that that's what she wanted to do. But by the end of the game, she realized that Inaba was her home and she wanted to stay there. She didn't want to leave all of the friends that she had made there. 
and I I loved her story and I loved everything about her as a character. And um I can see why this game got the amount of spin-offs that it did. I I can see why this game was milked as hard as it was cuz these these characters are really fucking great. Uh like I said some of them a lot better to me than some of the characters seen in Persona 5 while they're all also still great in their own right. Um the the biggest thing I realized by the end of this game is that I absolutely fucking love this franchise and I'm going to keep going. Uh, I did purchase both uh, the Persona 2 titles, so they are downloaded on my Vita. That way, as soon as I finish Persona 3, I'm ready to fucking go. Why I'm going backwards, I have no idea. But I'm doing it, and now I don't want to stop doing it. Yeah. Uh, I know you said you didn't like Persona 3 nearly as much. Um, I think that's fair. I love Persona 3, uh, but, mm-hmm. yeah. It is what it is. The I, tar, the whole Tartarus thing in Persona 3, like, it just, I don't, like, like, I dread going into Tartarus. Like, every time I have to do it, I'm like, fuck, I really don't want to do this. I would rather just do the social links and keep going and fight the bosses. I really don't want to do all this dungeon shit. I just don't, I, I don't like it nearly as much as I like the, the palaces or mementos in Persona 5 uh, or the TV world in Persona 4. It just doesn't, I don't know. I, I And I I don't know if I think it's just boring. If like every every section of Tartarus just feels the exact same, but with a color swap. Meanwhile, all the palaces and all of the spots of the TV world that you get to go to, they are all so full of life and personality defined on the character behind them. And maybe that's, Persona's three, Persona three's issue. There's not really any center character. I mean, that I fucking know of, uh, behind this whole Tartarus thing. That's what's going on. It, it's just there. Um, I'm sure that there's something fucking happening, and I just have to finish the game to see it. But I don't know. We'll see. But Persona Four Golden, fantastic game. I can absolutely see why in less than a year this game sold a million copies on Steam. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of which, <laughs> uh, I've never played a Persona game until well, uh, last week, this week, last week, uh, last Friday. Um, I've listened to everything you guys had to say and still do say about the franchise, but you, you both know it was never something that was on my radar. Um, I'm not sure what switched. I guess maybe in this past few weeks hearing Austin talk about persona five Royal. So, um, adamantly and just, you know, praising it as much as he did, it, it flipped the switch. So I gave it a shot cause I told him I would and the deluxe edition for persona five Royal just went on sale for a ridiculously fantastic price. Yeah. I think it was, so what, I was happy like about 25 that. bucks. Yeah. It wasn't bad at all. And yeah. it gave me everything, tons of costumes, great stuff. Awesome. So as soon as I started it, um, Sabrina was sitting there next to me too. She was like, whoa, because the whoa came from the art style that just immediately popped and was like, wow, like it's beautiful. I love the color. I love everything about the art style. I mean, that's just not something that I see a lot of and it was beautifully done in this. Um, But soon into playing, I started to really dive into the story, of course, and I really enjoy how it's laid out. 
uh, we get to see what's happening in the present when um, Joker is taken by the police and, you know, we're situated in the interview room. So I love that we get to see that in the present, but ultimately the game is played through essentially like a retelling from Joker's perspective or flashbacks of the things that happened leading up to that point. And I enjoy that because we see where the game is ultimately leading to, or at least that's what my perception is of it. Um, but in doing this, it it's laying out this really fantastic story that I'm super keen on diving into. Um, but I've only played it for a short amount of time, 15 hours to be exact. And in that time, this game has tackled some really dark shit. Really? Stuff that <laughs> dark shit. It's <laughs> fucked up, Holy dude, God. with how dark it is. And yeah. I, do, I don't get made uncomfortable in games a lot, but this actually made me pretty uncomfortable. Um, not only was it sexual harassment, but it was sexual harassment that drove someone to jump off of a roof. That is crushing to see happen and see happen in this game where you know it's it's not like a dark and gritty game it's very vite or vite it's mm. bright and vibrant and it pops out at you <clears throat> but so do the things that it's tackling in these very early stages it's mm. genuinely awful but it's awful because the characters that are in the game are ones that you genuinely care about like I didn't get to see a lot of what happened with Shiho behind the curtains, but just from those those cutscenes with her and Takamaki, it's it's really bad, dude. Like it made yeah. me feel some type of way. Um but even aside from all the dark stuff, even the stuff that was happening with the volleyball team, the characters that you're with, I really love them. They have such unique personalities, and I like that you can kind of give Joker his own personality, too. Um, but I love Morgana. I think the addition of that cat is fucking beautiful. I love that it's my guide. I love that it's my companion. I have no idea what the fuck it truly is, but I just I love having that companionship there. Mm. Um, and then, oh, what's his name? Ryuji, I think it is. Yeah. I like him being your buddy. Like It feels like that's a true like pal, like you couldn't have been introduced to a nicer, not, not like a nice person, but like a, a nice contrast to you. Like that's everything like you two probably needed in each other's lives. And then on herself, um, she just fits in. She's been through fucked up shit herself. Like, let's not even forget about her. And I almost did. She herself was going through terrible things from, um, fucking teacher. I forgot his name already. Kamashita. Yamashita. So like the the coercion from him to her, like, hey, if you don't sleep with me, I'm gonna take your friend's star position away or whatever. Like, that's so disgusting. Mm-hmm. And I hate it, but it made for a compelling story. And like I immediately was like, she, you know, it's great that she found the group that she did, so where she could help get revenge on uh this teacher for what she did to her friend. Um, and ultimately her like being the one like, Hey, do not kill yourself. You're going to take responsibility for this. You're going to fess up to it. Like, yeah, I was great, man, dude. It was phenomenal. And just all of that together has culminated into 
a beautiful game. So all of that is there. And then the combat, like I'm not necessarily, I don't dislike JRPGs. I truly don't. I don't mind turn-based uh, combat whatsoever. A lot of the games I play, you hear it, it's very open. It's uh, more action adventure type of stuff, which is fine. But I do like sitting back with the JRPG now and then. Um, Dragon Quest was unfortunately the most recent just because I don't play a lot of them. But when I do, I thoroughly enjoy my time. So the combat in this one, it didn't really take me long to pick up. Like I, I think I have a good grasp on it now. Um, and it's a lot of fun, dude. Like I love the usage of the personas, the guns, the physical attacks, the setting up for technicals and all of that stuff, you know, baton passing. So your attacks strengthen the next person. Like there's so much to do and learn and break down in the combat system. It just, it's invigorating and fun. I don't run from battles or try to avoid them. I charge into them like all ambush. I'm not, a, I'm not a novice. It's always an ambush. <laughs> and then, I don't know, man. It just sets up for such a good time, and I love it. Um, and just, just, I can't wait to see where it goes next. Um, like I said, I am only 15 hours in. I have just beaten the first palace. Like, we're in the process of choosing a second target inside of the game. But everything that I have experienced thus far... Like every time that I go to bed, not in the game, but in actuality, I go to bed. That's what I'm thinking about when I'm at work. This is the game that I'm thinking about. I just want to play more and I want to experience more and I want to see what it has to offer. And it's been a long time since the game has made me feel like this. So I'm excited to see what's next. I'm excited to do the episode next week and see where we've come since, you know, today. Mm. But great recommendation, man. I, I'm very grateful that I have played this and I've will probably play persona four at some time dude and like don't get me wrong it it made me just as uncomfortable um but persona five specifically at no point in that game story was it afraid to tackle some seriously fucking heavy shit um like just in the 15 hours that you played it it's tackled sexual abuse it's tackled suicide um it tackles suicide some more it tackles sexual uh it tackles human trafficking tackles drug addiction it tackles some really heavy fucking topics but it but what's crazy what when i saw those and and got through those parts of the stories i sat there and i'm like you know the fucked up part is like there's actually someone who has and is currently dealing with this situation He's going through that shit right that's what was so crushing about it's because you see it and you're playing it and it's one thing but then you're thinking in the back of your mind this is presently happening at this very second to someone probably not far from where we're at now and yeah. it's disgusting to think about but like you said the game dove in and it was like look we're going to make you very very uncomfortable mm -hmm. but god damn does it do it right and don't don't get me wrong like i i completely understand that that is a turnoff for some people um i understand that you know that that can be triggering for people who have experienced it um but like i'm a fan I, i'm i'm a huge fan of games and stories that are not afraid to hit you with some real fucking shit and I, I like I think that's one of the reasons why I grasped onto the game as hard as I do, because it, it it's not afraid to throw those things in your face and be like, hey, like this shit does happen. Just letting you fucking know. Yeah. So and it, there there's certain situations like I'm starting to find with uh, the guy that owns the cafe you're on. Um, mm -hmm. What's his name? Sojiro. 
I don't like a lot of the things that he winds up saying. I don't know if yeah, he's he supposed to nest. Shit. Well, it's almost a little homophobic too. Yeah. And I hate that. Like there's certain times where he's like, oh, can't believe I'm calling a guy for my phone. Like, what yeah, the fuck like, are you He has you a line in the about? beginning of the game where he takes you to school and he's like, oh, I don't normally let men sit in my passenger seat. Like, but shut up. Right. What? Like, sincerely, that's always been one of the things because there's people like that in the world, too. Yeah. For and sure. it's like, it's not gay to ride in a passenger seat of another guy's car. It's gay if you fuck me. Just don't fuck me and you're not gay. <laughs> I love that. I love that fucking argument. Like I saw I saw something on Reddit that said something similar today actually. It was like, "No, it's only gay if you fuck me." That's what makes it fucking gay. Yeah. I love like that's literally just do not put your penis inside of me and we're straight, dude. There's nothing sexual happening. We're not gay. Like, and just the fact that he's insinuating shit like that in the game, I was immediately triggered. I was like, dude, I, I don't even want to fucking build a relationship with you. <laughs> like, but again, the game is tackling shit that yeah. I don't necessarily appreciate or like, but it's people are like that. I, I and, will say that, um, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. No, go um, ahead. I, Tell me it gets better. <laughs> it, it absolutely fucking does. I will say that the way Sojiro kind of treats Joker uh, at the beginning of the game is more or less a front. Um, they do build a very, very beautiful, loving relationship by the end of the game. God damn, man. That makes me excited because I, I get so sick of him when he's like, I can't believe I'm calling this dude or, you know, something like, yeah, oh, please stop talking. Homophobic shit. And yeah. that was one of my issues. That That's honestly my biggest gripe with Persona 4 is it has a very similar issue. Um, but, you know, it is something to keep in mind that these are Japanese titles and Japan has never I mean they're finally just coming around on the on the L and G part. The 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 rest of the acronym <laughs> still kind of don't really give a yeah. fuck. <laughs> so eh, progress is progress, I guess. I mean it's better than nothing, but yeah, yeah it's okay. like the game I'm not even gonna necessarily say tackles it. It definitely tackled the dark shit. But the homophobic side of it that I'm seeing, it's like it puts me off a little bit. Like, yeah, I'm glad that he and comes I can around. That. Yeah, but it does as get a person who falls into that category. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, let's let's let me take you a step back for a minute. <laughs> it does get better though. I promise. Okay, that's good. It gets much much better. I because I kind of felt the same way. Like I unconfirmed. Uh, don't know if I identify with that or not. Probably never fucking will. Um, but it, like that, and that was a put off for me too. Cause I was kind of like, mm, like I get it. It was probably just meant to be a throwaway joke, but it still kind of ended up being more cringy than it was anything. It was like, I saw a Reddit happen, saw it, whatever. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, like my fucking eyes, I saw my brain, my eyes rolled back so fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. I can understand that for sure, but I, I am very overall though, are enjoying the game. Yes, overall, fantastic game. I love my time with it, and I just can't wait to spend more with it. I'm excited to hear your interpretation on the characters and by the end who you think the best girl is. Oh, I don't even fuck it. Like right now, it's the doctor. Uh, like, yeah. There is no other best girl. She could <laughs> step on me. Dude, when I, 
All right, we're not going to go down that. Road. I don't care if her stilettos have razor blades at the end of them. She can step all over me. Shit. You are correct. We are not going to get into this. We are going to go <laughs> to our picks of the week. <laughs> and get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. So I can go look up Goth Doctor on Google. Um. Oh. All right. So all right. my pick of the week is a video from uh, a person that I've brought up on the podcast before. His name is Ryan Hollinger. He makes... Uh, horror movie retrospective videos. Um, and this one in particular is about the lost boys. Uh, lost boys is a 1987. I might have my year wrong there. Uh, vampire flick, uh, featuring Corey Feldman and Corey Haim. Yeah. Corey Haim. Um, and it's really good. And, uh, Ryan does a great job of breaking down things and expounding on themes that are present within the films that he covers. Uh, he is Irish and he is fantastic. Everything he does is great. So, uh, this is no different. Go check it out. Yeah. Um, before I mention what my pick of the week is, uh, fucking, uh, Disclaimer: At no point during this am I going to uh, state any kind of personal beliefs on these events. Um, this is a fucking tragedy, obviously, and, you know, sympathies to anyone affected by said tragedy. Um, but me and Madison watched uh, Turning Point 9-11 on Netflix. It's a new uh, six-episode docuseries that I thought was going to be about 9-11. And it wasn't. Um, the first episode was about 9-11, but the five episodes that follow are about the aftermath of 9-11. And I really enjoy that because, uh, and, you know, maybe it's just my own uh, uh, personal, uh, you know, what I've seen so far. But um, I've never really seen too many documentaries that aren't just specifically focusing on the day of 9-11. Like, we all went to school, like, in America. We know what 9-11 is. They talk about it every, I'm at least where I went to school, they spend a whole fucking day on it. And they talk about it every fucking year. People outside of America, they know what 9-11 is because it was such a significant event. Um, but I, to me, very few documentaries really go into the aftermath of 9-11 and how it really did change things in America. Um, whether it be TSA regulations or laws that were passed around the time of 9-11. Um, one of the big things that got me that I guess I just never really paid attention to was um, after 9-11, uh, you know, when we moved into Afghanistan, um, it started talking about the fact that a lot of false arrests and unjustifiable deaths happened in 9-11 based off of uh, the torture methods that we would use on suspected terrorists and how said torture methods don't get compliance. They don't get like, they're not telling you what what's actually happening. They're going to tell you whatever you want to hear to get you to stop simulating fucking drowning on them. You know what I mean? And I, that's, I've never really seen too many documentaries that really dived into the psychology of that. And I, I, I don't want to say I enjoyed this documentary because I feel like that's not the word to use, but I, I appreciated and respected this documentary a lot. So yeah, go check that shit out. Cool. 
Uh, mine is a song by Sunny. It's spelled without an O or a U. It's S-N-N-Y. It's called Young Boy. It's just a good song. It falls in line with everything else I always recommend. Feel good song. Listen to it. Make you feel nice. Or nice. don't. Happy, and miss happy out. Note. Uh, positive words. Po- positive words. All right. Well, um, as always, you can find us on social media for all things Culture Pop, Hunting Pixels, and the Culture Pop family of content. <laughs> Hunting Pixel. Oh, wait. Hang on. Sorry. Culture Pop is available on Twitter at culture underscore bop. Uh, it is on Instagram at culture underscore bop. Hunting Pixels is available on Twitter at, uh, hang on. Jesus. Oh my Christ. My screen went dark. Okay. Uh, hunting Pixels is available on Twitter at Pixels Hunting, on Instagram at Hunting underscore Pixels CB. Uh, I am available on Twitter at the Bebopman182, on Instagram at Bebopman182, and on Twitch at the underscore Bebopman. Dylan is available on Twitter at OMDizzyTV on... No, wait. Yes, no, that is correct. Because OMDizzy was taken. Uh, Instagram on OMDizzy, or at OMDizzy Twitch, OMDizzy, and on the YouTubes at OMDizzy. Austin is available on Twitter at Big Papa Please. On Instagram at Big Papa Stevens underscore slash big, not slash. Don't add the slash. Or is a better, yeah. Uh, at Big Papa Please. He's on Twitch at Big Papa Please and on TikTok at Big Papa Please. Uh, and finally, if you're looking to support this podcast or any of the endeavors that we're undertaking as Culture Bop, then go to patreon.com slash culture and toss us a pledge. We're offering some really cool perks. And once we start hitting our goals, even more content will be on the way. Some of those perks include three-day early access on podcast, the ability to get your comments, questions, concerns, thoughts, and ideas read on the air, as well as uh, exclusive episodes and coming very soon, two-day early access to YouTube videos that will go live. Not putting a date on it just yet because I don't want to jinx it, but I promise. I promise it's coming very, very, very soon. Uh, but that's it. That's the end of our show. Hell yeah. You guys have any closing words? Any anything to say? Uh goodbye. <laughs> well, yeah. And until next time. Goodbye.